0: Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with Marcus Kauke. Today, I have Janet Murray, who is a specialist in content marketing, a former journalist, and an expert in helping you to develop your brand online through the use of content. Janet, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. Would you mind giving the listeners a couple of minutes in terms of your background and what qualifies you to be an expert in this field?
1: Okay. Okay. I actually started life as a school teacher. So I'm on my third career now. So I started off teaching English in secondary schools. And a few years in, I decided I wanted to retrain in journalism. And I ended up spending the next 18 years writing and editing for national newspapers like The Guardian. And what happened was I realized something quite early in. Is that people were dreadful at pitching to the press. So I would get these dreadful press releases, I'd get these dreadful pitches. And I would just think to myself, why would anybody want to take any of those ideas up? They were just awful. So I thought to myself, <laughs> yeah, I thought to myself, if they don't know how to do it, then maybe I can teach them how to do it better. And I was a freelance journalist and a lot of people think that journalists earn a lot of money, but actually generally, unless you've got one of the you know, really senior reporting jobs. Not, I was being paid by the word. And I thought, you know what, maybe I could run masterclasses or workshops or events. So I started teaching people how to pitch. And I worked with some big companies like Santander and John Lewis, and somehow we were managing to get them to come along to these workshops. And then we thought to ourselves, what do because I was working with another journalist friend of mine like what do these people really want? Well, what they really want is to actually get in a room with journalists and they want to spend time with these guys because they're fed up phoning up and being fogged off and being ignored. So we started running these big events called What Journalists Want. And we basically, this is before GDPR, all the email regulations, we we basically kind of thought, who's going to want to meet these people? We specialize in education. So we scraped all these email addresses university colleges schools whatever we just email people and said we're putting on this event we've got all the key journalists in this sector that we think you'll really want to meet this is how much it costs for a ticket and amazingly we managed to sell out these workshops so by this point I was getting a bit of a taste for entrepreneurship and I was also getting booked by this stage to Kind of do like quite nice consultancy gigs. So people would come in, come in and train our team how to pitch to the press and come in and show us what, where we're going wrong, what we should be doing better. And I thought I want to get more of this really amazing work, and I don't want it to be ad hoc. I want people to find me. So I thought I know what I'll do. I'll start a blog, and I'll start a blog, and that will help people find me. They'll find me in Google, and they'll think I'm wonderful, and they'll want to come and book me to to do this training. But of course, what I realized is that you can't just have a blog. And you can't just start putting blog posts out there you have to actually get people to your website to read them so I started to learn about things like search engine optimization I started learning about blogging and what made great content as a journalist I knew what made great content and I could write well but actually getting people to engage I learned all, you know all about how to come up with great titles and you know SEO traffic all that kind of stuff and then that one thing led to another and before I knew it I was like, actually I like this much better than this journalism thing because I was a bit bored of journalism by that point. So I thought, you know, I wonder if there's a way that I could turn this into, flip it around basically. So I'm doing a little bit of journalism and then you know, more of this training and consultancy stuff. And I thought well, maybe I could help small business owners because that that's what really had bothered me at first that all these dreadful pitches and press releases I was getting were from people who were small business owners essentially like me and I thought they were wasting their cash So I gradually just figured all of this stuff out. What I was doing was content marketing. I didn't realize that, but I was attracting people. I was creating this content that was solving people's problems. So how to write a press release, how to write a pitch, how to get in front of journalists. I was writing these blog posts. I was figuring out how to get people to find me rather than me go out and find them. I started to build my email list. I started to work out how to get people onto my email list. And I thought, you know, this is pretty good because I'm attracting people towards me. I'm not having to go out and find my customers or clients. And so I'm attracting them towards me. I wrote a book. I started a podcast. And, you know, this this whole thing kind of snowballed. And like many businesses, it was just completely accidental. And then I kind of thought to myself, yeah, I'd really like to help small business owners with this. I did a pivot with the business. And that kind of brings me up to... I've missed a few bits. help, It kind of brings me up to where we are now, where nowadays I help small business owners to basically get more clients and customers through their content. So I help with content marketing. I've got a membership community. I work, I've got mastermind groups. I also work, I do a little bit bit of one-to-one consultancy. I've got products, I've got books, I've got diaries. And I've basically built this whole business out of this problem (laughs) that people came to me with and, and it's evolved from there.
0: Let me ask you this. You said that people tend to butcher their press releases what are the cardinal sins that you see people inflicting
1: um, well as I'm realising since I've started working with you there's so many parallels to this and sales basically but they're just thinking about themselves so they've got a story they want to get out in the world and they've got something they want to say so they put together a press release of what they think the story is without any regard whatsoever in terms of what a journalist might be looking for what actually might be a great piece of content for their newspaper or magazine. So it's selfish. It's just selfish. Me, me, me.
0: This is what I want. Excellent. Okay. So tell me something. With your journalist hat on, what were you looking for from a story about a business?
1: Basically, as a journalist, you're not in sales. So you're not there to promote somebody's product or service. So you're looking for a great story and you're looking for something remarkable and the way I used to put it, because I now help people with content in a kind of broader sense, but the way I used to put it in those days was like: as a journalist, if you think about a film or you think about a book, we're not interested in the happy ending. We're not interested in the start. We're interested in the turning points. We're interested in the conflict. We're interested in the in the contrasts, in the difficult moments, in the you know that those kind of really tricky things that people can relate to or just the remarkable you know the kind of thing that is just so unusual or so surprising that you want to tell your friends about it and most of the stuff that we got sent through was just like who cares you know people were sending who cares when what we wanted was remarkable
0: understood okay so what I see time and again you see it on people's LinkedIn profiles you see it in their marketing copy that it tends to be the stuff that they think is interesting which invariably is kind of like showing photos of your ugly children rather than finding the stuff that matters to your audience. So what are the kind of rules of thumb when you're writing and preparing content that you should bear in mind in order to ensure that it speaks to the audience that you're trying to attract?
1: Well, the key thing is, and there's big parallel to sales here, is it's not about you. It is about your audience. And With content marketing, if you're trying to attract people towards you through your content, you have to think about people's pain and you have to solve people's problems for them. So in my case, when I started out, the pain that people were having was basically they were trying to get in front of journalists. They were looking for column inches. they were looking for airspace and they just couldn't get journalists interested. They just couldn't even attract their attention. So the kind of content I created in response to that was, look, here's how to write a press release. In fact, in fact... My book is called Your Press Release is Breaking My Heart because I hate press releases. For me, <laughs> as a <journalist, laughs> what, what I was looking for was just someone to send me a good story, just send me an email. You know, I had, as a journalist, it's like most of what you get is rubbish. You, you sit there at your desk and most things that come through say press release, press release, press release, press release. And then you might get a one-liner, like it could be really badly written, it could be full of typos. But if it starts that fire in your belly because it's a really great story... You literally will just pick up the phone straight away and say, Hi, it's Janet here from The Guardian. Even if I was on deadline, like, I really like the, uh, that, that idea. Can you just bear with me? I'll be back to you in a couple of hours. It's most of it is absolute dross. But when somebody's really taken the time to think, actually, to, I mean, just basic stuff, like people would pitch things, and people still pitch my podcast now without having even looked at it or even looked at what episodes I've done before, but just even reading the paper, you know, that, that's a okay, start.
0: Give an example of the kind of thing that grabbed your attention.
1: So i trying to think of... Um, so I specialised in education and politics is what I specialised in. And I was actually delivering some training and there was a lady in the room and I remember her saying, she worked at one of the big Russell Group universities, so one of the big sort of top UK universities, and she said, we have this thing in the UK if you're not from the UK, just to put this into context for you, uh, which we call clearing. So university places are allocated in the summer when the kids get their exam results. And then if you don't get your grades or you change your mind and you want to go somewhere else, then we have this thing called clearing, which is basically the leftover places. And what had happened, basically, the government had changed something about the grading or whatever, which meant that some of the big popular universities, the kind of like Barclays and the Harvards or whatever of the UK we're basically going to have empty places. They're going to have empty bombs on seats. And that's quite embarrassing if you and are... And
0: expensive.
1: Yeah, it's explosive. It's embarrassing. So this lady just said an offhand comment in this workshop that we're doing. Well, do you know what? You know, we see this happening. We saw it happening last year. So we've decided actually that we're just going to go for it. So what we've decided to do is we've hired an advertising company and we're just going to start advertising our clearing places before the results even come out. And for me as a journalist, my ears immediately pricked up because, like, this is a a big university that not only is admitting that they haven't got enough people, bombs on seats, but also they're going to hire an advertising agency using public money to kind of solve this problem, and they're being really upfront about it. And that you know this could change the face of UK education for me. This was like you know sit up and take notice. So I had to try and persuade this lady that they were comfortable to talk about it, and that took me a little bit of work. But it was, that kind of, it was just like the unusual, the remarkable. It was just like, wow, these guys, these big universities that people clamor to get into and they're going to have empty spaces and they're basically hiring an ad agency. But for me, that was, I mean, I've probably got tons of other examples, but it was just in that context, it was unusual, it was different and it was divisive as well. I, I knew that if that story went out in the Sunday Times, actually, we got the story in the Sunday Times, actually then printed it a couple of weeks later, pretending it was their story. because so that's the kind of thing that they do.
0: No bitterness there.
1: Yeah, I knew it would rile people, it would wind people up, it would divide people. It was just,
0: wow. So tell me this then, in terms of entering the mind of your audience, do you have any suggestions or guidelines to help somebody who's maybe starting out in their content marketing journey uh, mm-hmm. to really be able to understand who they're writing for and what matters to them?
1: The easiest thing to do is just to talk to your audience ideal customers and clients. And if you're good at your job, whatever it is that you do, you will know what their problems are and you will know what their challenges are. And I love frameworks. So I love to teach people frameworks and how to do things. So I've actually created, I've put it here actually, this link, I help people with content over all sorts of platforms, but LinkedIn, I've created like a, a content strategy playbook. And there's six types of posts that I think you can make. Would it be helpful if I shared them with you?
0: Yeah, if, please, absolutely. Can people try that?
1: Yeah, you can buy it via my website. I can give you the link later. So the first one is the easy one is the value post. So this is basically when you create something. say for you, Mark, as that would be you creating something very specific, teaching a specific sales technique, sales technique or something like that. So this is how you contract at the beginning of a sales conversation, or this is how you talk about money or whatever. So when somebody can actually take that piece of content and get value straight away, and hopefully implement implement it, I'll give you an example of one I did last week. I was running a A LinkedIn content strategy session. And I wanted to show the people in the class how easy it was to create content and get it online really quickly. So I basically stood up and said, I'm going to teach you a trick on how to look better in your videos. And we're going to get it online straight away. And all I did was I said, look, if you want to look better in your videos, you don't have fancy lighting, stand in front of a window. I'm going to show you what happens when I'm standing in front of a window. Now I'm going to turn away and you can see the difference. 30 seconds, that video." I got it up on LinkedIn in the class, like I promised, to show them. People saying, wow, that's such an amazing tip. Thank you so much. That's amazing. And literally, it was 30 seconds. And for us, I think often we feel the things that we know, we feel like, oh, they're obvious. Yes, everybody would know that. Everybody would know how to light a video, whatever." but they don't. And that 30-second video got about 60 comments or something so far. Loads of messages. People say, thank you so much. That was so useful. <laughs> So that's a value post. And I think we can all do that. It's just could be a tip, something practical. But ideally, the person can put it into practice like straight away. And actually, you know, I can say, Mark, I tried that thing that you told me about and I had a better result. You know, that's what we're looking for. The second type is what I call the review post. So this is when you review an experience that you've had and you've gathered some photos together. So say, for example, I was running that LinkedIn masterclass. So I took a number of pictures and I basically said, "You I had a really great day with my LinkedIn people. This is what we covered during the day. And I tagged them all in and I would ask them something like, what was your biggest takeaway from the day? So that they have to comment. People were jumping on and saying, oh, wow, this looks really good. And I got some messages from people afterwards. When's your next class? So this is a clever way. And I think that's an important point to make as well. You do need to have an intention. I always have a sales intention pretty much for everything I post. So I'm thinking about, Ideally, what do I want this post to lead towards? Because I've got lots of different products and services. So what do I want people to do? And it might not be buy something. It could be just take the next step in some way. So again, there's lots of parallels to sales there, isn't there?
0: I I Um, see Sam Rathling doing this an awful lot. Yeah. And it works a storm for her, I know. Yeah, yeah. And certainly I've found that uh, strategy works really well. I don't do it often enough. So thank you for the reminder.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, number three is, I call this the gratitude post. And this is actually quite similar. And the thing is, with your content, the more you can make it about other people, the better. So, for example, at the end of last year, I'd spoken in London, I'd spoken in Boston, I'd spoken in Nashville, and I'd spoken in Milan, I think, the last few months of the year. And of course, I want to tell people that I'm a speaker. But if I just post, hey, I'm a speaker, this is what I talk about, people are just going to be like, yeah, who cares about the fact you're a speaker? So what I did was I gathered together some pictures of me speaking different places. I gathered together some of the fellow speakers that I'd been with so I could tag people in. And I just said, look, you know, just want to say thank you. It's been a great speaking year. Here's some of the places that I've spoken. Here are some of the people that made it possible for me. And I tagged in the event organisers and i tagged in some of my friends who speak as well. So of course everyone loves a post like that when you're saying thank you. <laughs> so you know people jump on, and say thank you so much for saying thank you. And you know, so it's about shining the light on others and saying that this this, this person was helpful.
0: I did some media training about 10 years ago and the overriding lesson that I learned was that names, names, names. If you put names into posts, then those people will invariably respond and that then goes out to their network. And it's a very subtle but very powerful way of extending the reach of your content. So that's a really good tip.
1: Yeah, exactly. And with your LinkedIn in particular, your second degree networks, will, your contacts will see that. And their contacts will see that. So essentially, if I get 100 comments on a post like that, that's potentially thousands and thousands of people that are going to see that because they see their friend being mentioned and they just have a little nose and say, oh, what's that all about? And then they come, you know, I get lots of people commenting on my posts. Another one that I did was I have a, a media diary. So it's an A4 desk diary that you can use to plan out your content for the coming year. It has key dates and awareness days. And I did quite a few posts in the promotion of that. which I can talk to you about the different style of posts. But I got people to get involved in the process. That's another tip I'd give you. So if you're creating a product or a service, like ask people, get them involved in the journey. So first thing we do with my media diary is ask people which cover do you like the best? We give them cover options and get people to vote which cover. So then they're saying, Where can I buy this thing? Where's the link? Where can I buy it? But of course it's not for sale yet. So you're developing a little, you know, a bit of a wait list and getting people excited. Then I might do a video showing people the inside. I might ask people to help me with. I don't know, with this LinkedIn playbook, actually, I show people different covers of it beforehand. I ask people about the name. Should I call it a playbook? Should I not call it a playbook? So I had this conversation going. And then what I do is when it comes out, I'll thank people. So with the media diary, so the media diary is out today. I want to thank these people for helping to create it. These people who are the first people to buy it or whatever. And again, the more people that you're bringing in and tagging in, you know, you, the more engagement you're going to get. So I call that a gratitude post. There's lots of crossover, lots of parallels between them. The next one is what I call the behind-the-scenes post. So this is where you take people behind the scenes of your business. And you'd be amazed, really, what people love to watch on social media. So as I'm sitting here now, we can see each other, can't we? So I'm going off to the hairdressers to have my hair blow-dried shortly after this. and Me too. And you, <laughs> You're going for a blow-dry as well afterwards. Yes, yeah. so. and, well,
0: uh, well, more of a polish... <laughs>
1: And then, um, so I, I went through a stage last year when I was blogging, and I, I, I really enjoyed doing is telling a story through a video. And I did, you know, when I'm speaking, I do vlogs of the cities that I'm visiting rather than about me and what I'm talking about because people are much more interested in that. But my hair's naturally really curly, but I have it chemically straightened. And I'm actually going through a stage now where I'm possibly going to change that, <laughs> because we're going to let it grow out. But anyway, I created a video of me having my hair. This is this Japanese straightening treatment called Yuko. And um, I created a video of me having it done because everyone's always asking me, how do you have it done? That video has got more hits on my YouTube channel than any video that I've made, my worthy video about content marketing. But I actually took it a step further and it's behind the scenes because it's obviously the person behind the business and people getting to know a bit about me and where I get my hair done or whatever. But I took it, I actually shared that video on LinkedIn just to say, you know, I find that when I share things about my personal life, not everything, but people are pretty interested. And t- have a look at this video as an example. <laughs> what do you, do you feel okay sharing? You know, always turn it back to your audience. Do you feel okay sharing things about your personal life? Let me know in the comments. I've got so much engagement on that video for me having my hair done. You know, it's just, <laughs> just people just wanted to see the process. And and so behind the scenes doesn't have to be behind the scenes of your business. It can be, but it could actually equally be something that you're up to decorating your house or,
0: you know. That's really People true. are nosy. I can't believe anybody has, any interest in anything that I do so I'll definitely give that a try I mean it strikes me as strange but (laughs) given the growth of reality tv um, and all that kind of stuff well perhaps so who knows I mean does it attract the right kind of following or is that more really about creating awareness and increasing your footprint
1: I think it's there's a mixture like I wouldn't I wouldn't do that every day and of course, there were some people that would be turned off by that. So I've got an example I'll share with you in a moment of a really popular post that probably turned some people off. But for me, marketing is about attracting and repelling anyway. And if somebody's offended by something, they don't like hairdressers or whatever, then, you know, whatever. But I think people just, people are nosy and people love stories. We all naturally love stories. We love telling stories, our own stories. We love other people's stories if they're interesting. And just to give you an example, over on Instagram the other day, it was Shrove Tuesday. And I thought to myself, "Oh, everyone's going to be sharing pictures of themselves, you know, making pancakes and wonderful or whatever." And I'm not very good at cooking, so, <laughs> so, so I, I did. It was a, you know, I, I just I filmed me making pancakes on Instagram stories, and basically started off had all the stuff laid out, all looked beautiful, and then it just went worse and worse. So you know, started off with me burning, you know, one sizzling in the pan nicely, then it burnt then there was just this kind of massive mess and people were saying to me oh my god like I can't believe state you got your cooker in just to try and make this one but it was real it was really what happened but I got so much engagement it was so memorable because I was sharing behind the scenes of my life and I wouldn't I wouldn't say for a minute that you should be sharing you know airing your dirty washing or sharing something that doesn't make you feel comfortable but I'm quite happy to share that with people and you know, I think it gives you a bit of a human side
0: I remember I did do a post a couple of years ago, took one of my daughters to one of these trampoline places, and my friend, we're still friends, just, he suggested that I should jump into the it—the pit, the phone pit. Right. Uh, it took about eight minutes for me to be able to clamber out, and he was just wetting himself, and I had a huge amount of engagement for that. Uh, mm-hmm. So ritual humiliation seems to go down well, and I think people felt vindicated After all the torture that I put them through with my horrible (laughs) I
1: Yeah, I think think people just, I don't know, people love, I don't know, I test out a lot of my ideas on my personal Facebook page. And I think particularly with platforms like LinkedIn, people think that LinkedIn, you have to be all professional and you have to be all perfect. But actually, people just love stories. I have had an ongoing story on my personal Facebook page, which I think I will bring to my social media platforms at some point, about my window cleaner. And for those who are not Brits who are who are listening to this, you may not get this, but as Brits, we can be terribly polite. And basically I posted a few years ago on my personal Facebook, how does one sack one's window cleaner? Because I wanted to sack <laughs> cleaner. And people were saying things like, Oh, you can just you just have to move house or you have to burn your house down or you or you knock smash out, <laughs> out the windows because that's what we're like as Brits, you know, like we rather than say what we really feel. So this saga has been going on for a few years to the point where people I post things about my window cleaner. And this week I actually I sacked the window cleaner and people have been following this story and they were literally saying this is better than Netflix like you know because I phoned the window cleaner up to tell him he was sacked and he said to me I don't do your windows love and I was like no no you do do, do my windows and then I spent the next t- 10 minutes arguing with him about the fact that having had this whole saga for two years like how do you sack your window cleaner I'm gonna sack him next week and in between times I'd found a new window cleaner and uh, I'd shared the fact that I found this new window cleaner, and. In between times, I was asking people, like, how much do you pay your window cleaner? Because the new one wants £18. Like, how much? And people were, like, hundreds of comments. Like, people are very interested, I think, in the mundane. They're interested in stories. They're interested in, in just narrative, I think. And, and I think often we take ourselves too seriously on social media and we should have fun with it.
0: I want to come back to that in a second, but you said that there were six. And we've done value post, review post, gratitude post, media diary and behind. Yep. What's the final one?
1: Okay, so we've got actually, we've only done we've done four. So the next one is the shout out post. So this is basically when you shout somebody out and you know. You,
0: so that's like the kudos posts and that kind of thing on LinkedIn. Yeah.
1: So
0: you recognize somebody for being really good. Yeah. Kind
1: of yeah. So a friend of mine, Dan Knowlton, he did a great post where he's a digital marketing expert where he basically named six people, one of whom was me, who are doing really good content on LinkedIn. What are we all going to do if somebody says, oh, you should really follow this person. And we're all going to go, oh, thank you. Thank you, Dan. And we're going to comment on it. And then our followers are going to see it. And so that's a really smart move. So just to say, you know, these are people love tips as well. These are the best people to follow on this platform. If you want to know about video, follow this person or whatever. And the last type is my favorite type of post. But there's a whole podcast episode on this recently. I call it the grenade post. And this is to be used sparingly. (laughs) But from my journalism days, was one thing I know about this is that people are not interested in vanilla content. They're not interested in people who sit on the fence. So if you have a if you can get a debate or an argument going, then you're gonna get lots of engagement. So I I don't do it all the time, but every so often I do it every few weeks, I post something that I know that will divide people. So for example, I don't know if you saw recently there was a story how Virgin Airline had said that stewardesses didn't don't have to wear makeup anymore. It used to be compulsory for them to wear makeup and now they don't. And I looked at this story and I kind of thought to myself, and this was the honest truth, I thought to myself, well, you know, that's all very well. But when I'm on a long haul flight and getting off a long haul flight, do I really want people to look worse than me? Like, I like the fact that they look <laughs> You know, I like the fact that they're nice and done up and they don't look really tired like I do. And is not it be a shame if, like, the air hostesses looked half dead? The men as well, you know, wouldn't it be a, a, a shame if they looked really bad? So that's basically what I posted on LinkedIn, full well knowing that some people would strongly disagree with me. And I think we're up to about 80 comments on that one. And I to be honest, I haven't had that much time to engage with them. But anything that divides people, and people are often quite scared about doing this kind of content because they think that you have to say your opinion. But the way I always do it is I say something like, you know, I'm a little bit torn on this issue because on the one hand I can see it's, you know, women shouldn't have to wear makeup that's not right. But at the same time, when I wake up at the end of a flight, I like to see somebody who looks bright and bright-eyed
0: and bushy-tailed or whatever.
1: And um, so there's a way that you can position it without people thinking that you're an ogre. And it works really well.
0: I used to do a lot of grenade posts and I I would never soften the blow. But my associate, Benjamin Danahy is fantastic at them. And yeah, he'll get 200,000 views, which is substantially more than I ever get. I think sometimes you've got to be a little bit careful because. It's not the views I'm interested in. It's the level of engagement with genuine prospects. And that's interesting because that generates business. And that's why I'm on LinkedIn. But a lot of my posts are deliberately divisive. I'm not interested in making friends. I'm interested in attracting the right kind of people. And I would much rather have maybe five interactions with potential prospects than 200,000 views and 500 uh, comments. The volume of comments is good for raising awareness. But I posted a couple last week. One was on planting your feet. And you know if you've agreed at an upfront contract with somebody, then to hold them to account if they deviate from the contract that they have agreed to. And I was really fascinated because I knew it was going to generate some pushback. But the thing I really liked was the fact that other sales trainers piled in and tried to have a pop. And using some very gentle questioning, they suddenly went silent because the, the challenge was, well, when is it okay if someone has agreed to do something and they don't keep to their word? Are you saying that you don't have the right to hold them to account? And all of a sudden, they disappear. And I think it's a good idea to pick a fight every now and again and to have an opinion. Because I think you're absolutely right. Vanilla is dull. I want my ice cream to have a chili and tomato. And I want people to be forced to sit up and think and see their world through a different lens. We had a lot of interaction, lots of comments, and we've already generated some business off the back of it. So those ones definitely work really nicely. The shout out posts... I often get named, and I also uh, name people in my shout out post because they're very helpful. And I think putting something back to the people who actually inspire you is a really good idea. Behind the scenes thing, I've not done, but I'm definitely going to give it a go. I've been inspired. Well, you're, uh,
1: you're off to Orlando next week, aren't you? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So there's loads of potential there for behind the scenes stuff.
0: Absolutely. Well, Sam's coming as well. So uh, between the two of us, I suspect there'll be great opportunities for us to film each other. And the review posts, I think something else that's worked really well for me in the past is book reviews. So I'm a prolific listener rather than reader because my eyesight's a bit dodgy. And I must have read about 700, 800 books now over the last five years. And off the back of that, a lot of people really appreciate that. And those value posts, one of the things that struck me is it was about 12 years ago, 10 years ago, Our operations director told me that blogging was dead. So I just ignored him. So, Steve, if you're listening, you were wrong. And what was really interesting is you're often told, don't give family jewels away. People can't copy how you do stuff. They can steal the idea. But if you have a rich and powerful voice and you speak with conviction, it doesn't matter what you give away. What you don't want to do is do yourself harm. And therein lies a big difference between free consulting and really adding value to your network. And what's been really interesting over the last couple of years is just the exponential growth in my network. So in March last year, I had 4,000 connections. We've just topped over 12,000 this year. It took nine years to get 4,000 connections. And I think following of over 16,000 now. And that gives you a lot of currency because I think what's really important is to become an expert in your field. So when you're coaching your clients, what is it that you're teaching them about staying on brand and really focusing their message to keep it nice and tight so that they don't end up muddying the waters?
1: I think the most important thing is that you are the go-to person or at least one of the go-to people. So. A big mistake I see people making is trying to be all things to all people and trying to be an expert in everything. And what you want to be is you want to be that person that say, ah, if you need help with sales, you go to Marcus. If you need help with LinkedIn, you go to Sam. And that helps your content so much because if everything you do is about LinkedIn or everything you do is about sales, it doesn't mean that you can't deviate. But if you can always bring it back to sales or LinkedIn or... I don't know, finance or whatever it is. But I think where I see people struggling with content, it's often where they're just they're just trying to be all things to all people. And the problem, like I would say to people, if you're struggling to create and publish regular content, you haven't got a content problem. You've got a business problem because you're probably, when you look at people's businesses, they're usually offering too many services or people just don't get what it is that they do. And that's an important thing. Even with with platforms like LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever you are, if people don't visit your profile and immediately know what it is that you help them with, they're just going to click away. And I see all sorts of rubbish that people put on their LinkedIn profiles, which just doesn't describe what they do whatsoever.
0: So what about multimedia on platforms like LinkedIn? So video, slide share, short posts, long post articles, all that kind of stuff. How can people repurpose the same content?
1: Well, I repurpose a lot of my posts across all platforms. So I would take the same post that I have on LinkedIn and I would use it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I might just tweak it slightly because I have slightly different audiences. So that's one tip I would give you. And it's fine to post them all at the same time. But you generally do tend to have different types of audiences. On LinkedIn, a text-based posts tend to perform better. And consistently, I've seen that you tend to get much better engagement. But then again, if everyone looks through your feed and it's always the same type of content all the time, like I know you do a mix of, you do those sort of conversations, don't you? The the like role play conversations, you do some book reviews, you do some shares, whatever. So there's a a variety. So I try and mix it up a little bit. Video is, I think you get really good engagement, particularly on LinkedIn. Um, But I would advise everybody to put subtitles on everything, put subtitles on absolutely everything. I've been creating some little tutorial videos recently, which have gone down really well so just showing people how to do some of the things that people ask me all the time like how do you put captions on a video so I make a video about it because I'm doing it anyway and I'm creating that video for my team so I might as well repurpose that content and put it out how do you create those meme style video posts so yeah and, and video as well I think what puts people off video is feeling that like they have to be perfect but actually that video I created the other day that I shared with you took me 30 seconds to create that video and it was a useful tip and actually, I think often people can connect with us better if we're not perfect and we're not word perfect. There's an authenticity about that. And I think people are quite accepting about that. And I think it's, it's, it's a nice way to connect with people.
0: Okay. What about creating a paywall and getting people to pay for content? What does one have to do to get to the point where you actually have the right to start asking people to pay <laughs> you premium? Yeah.
1: This is a great topic. And, and it's one I've grappled with a little bit what should you give away for free and what should you charge for? I think the thing is you need an audience. So the biggest problem that I help my clients with, particularly with coaches and consultants and experts, they come to me and the story is usually this. I'm tired. I'm running all over the place, delivering training, different places, different countries, traveling. I've spent years building up all these resources. I'd love to be able to sell them online to people so I don't have to trade time for money so I can do this from home and so I'm not in that feast and famine thing all the time where I'm waiting for people to book me or not book me or whatever that's the narrative I hear all the time but the problem is they go away and they create a course and they take their materials which are excellent and then they create a course and then they put them out there and crickets like no one wants to buy them <laughs> because they don't have an audience because they haven't I believe it takes at least a year to build an online audience a year of consistently showing up. I think you need to be creating content like a blog on at least one platform. So a blog, a vlog, a podcast. I've created 300, I've just recorded my 338th podcast episode. I think it took me about 100 to really get traction because like all of us, you don't automatically get good at something by doing it the first time. You have to do it you know, lots of times and that helped me build an audience. For other people, it's a blog. For other people, it's YouTube. And you have to work really hard at getting people to engage with that Content it doesn't matter how brilliant it is, and we, if we've got time, we can talk about that as well. You, how you actually promote your content because just creating it is not enough. You've got to show that you're an expert. You've got to prove that, and you've got to be putting out really high quality content. And for me, I say to people that don't worry about the numbers. If you focus on being the best content creator in your space, you focus on being the best person putting out content about LinkedIn or about sales or about insurance compliance or whatever it is that you do, you will start to attract people towards you. But you can't skip that part. You can't just suddenly be online and earn yeah, the
0: audience.
1: Yeah, you have to earn the audience. So that means initially, in answer to your question, you have to actually create quite a lot of content for free to start with. Funnily enough, I heard somebody tell, saying about somebody who did webinars the other day and saying, Tell people what they need to do, but don't tell them how to do it. You know, and then you just sell them the how to do it. But I'm not sure that I agree with that because I just think that's a bit mean. You get people onto a webinar and then you say, Oh, I'm going to tell you all these things you need to do, but I'm not going to show you. You have to pay me. And I think quite genuinely that people do need to build that know, like, and trust with you. I've got a lovely quote from my Facebook page the other day, because I'm marketing a live event at the moment. And I can't remember how it came up, but somebody who came to one of my live events and she said, the reason I came to your live event was because I've been listening to your podcast for quite a few years. And Because I was listening to your podcast, I felt like I knew you and I felt like I liked you and I trusted you. And so when it came to the event, I felt good about booking that ticket. I felt I wanted to be there. And I think that's what the free content does. We can't just rock up and expect people to trust us and start throwing money at us without building up that. And obviously, if we're doing business in person and we're out networking, it's so much easier to do that if you're out. If you're... I don't know about you, but every time I speak or train, I always get business. But online that's harder. So you have to give some content away. But there does come a point, I don't know whether you've experienced this, where you have to... I, After five years, I guess, of building an audience, just before Christmas, I had a large Facebook group that had 13,000 people in it. And it just wasn't generating me leads anymore. When it started out, it was generating me leads and turning into sales. But it was so big. We tried lots and lots of different things. So I shut it down. I used to do two podcast episodes a week, I've dropped down to one podcast episode a week. I feel like I've earned my stripes and I feel like I've given away a lot of free content and there's a lot of free content out there. The other thing as well is I feel like if somebody wanted to, so I've got a membership community, I've got various online courses. If somebody wanted to go around the web and find all of the content that I sell, they could probably find it all. If they wanted to go and piece it all together and find the different pieces, they could probably take the podcasts and the videos and the blogs and they could probably cobble together. The stuff that's in my course. But what people pay for is two things. They pay for the convenience of having you guiding them through it and having it all in the right order. But they also pay, and this is the crucial thing, I think, for the personalization. So I could do a podcast episode on how to build your email list, which I did recently, which lots of people said was really, really useful. But at the end of that podcast episode, it doesn't matter how good it is, there'll be people sitting there saying, but how does that apply to me? I've just got that thing that I just would love to know that bit and Can you look at my copy? And can you, you know, so I I think this very generic free content we give, it's never going to be the same as one-to-one or personalized. So I'm quite comfortable with giving it all away.
0: (laughs) I've had a lot of pushback over the years from people within my own organization and elsewhere. But what it's done is it's created a high degree of awareness, a lot of engagement, almost everywhere I go where I speak. People say, you know, love the videos, love the posts, and it lowers the barrier to entry because you're already familiar. It's about awareness, then familiarity. And once you've got past that familiarity piece, then people are far more willing to engage. I do have a a question. Instead of a paywall, what about creating some exclusive content where people have to subscribe? You're adding additional value, but in return for that, they're open to receiving your marketing. Is that something that you'd recommend?
1: So creating content. So I don't know, it could be podcast episodes that are not free and available to everybody that have to be paid for. Is that what you're...
0: Not necessarily with a cash paywall, but some kind of restricted availability to people who are on your subscriber list.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that can be, can be a good move. But the other thing I'm quite wary of is, is that people don't always value what they get for free. So I experimented with something recently, which is quite relevant to this. So I've got loads of lead magnets. So if you're not familiar, if you're listening and you're not familiar with that term, it's a, an information resource that you create in order to attract people to your email list. And I've got loads of really useful free things. But when I created this LinkedIn playbook I'm talking about, what we'd noticed, one of my lead magnets is that only 30% of people who downloaded it were, who signed up for it, were actually downloading this other lead magnet. So with this LinkedIn playbook, we said, well, why don't we just make it £10? We're going to make it nine ninety nine and just see what happens. And the difference between just £10, you know, ordinarily I would have given that away for free as a lead magnet. 80% of people had downloaded it within the first 24 hours. So I do think there's also a whole debate there about, are you doing your audience a disservice if you're constantly just giving them free stuff all the time and you're not actually inviting them to take the next step? Then actually some people get stuck. My friend Jessica calls it baby bird syndrome. And I've seen this happen so many times where you just keep feeding people all this like free stuff, free stuff, free stuff. And then when you take it away, they get fretful and they can get angry and aggressive. And, and so I think it's really important, even if you are giving away free content, that all the time you're telling people that they can take the next step with you and they should take the next step with you if they want personalized, if they want better quality, because otherwise you can just create a load oh. of hungry, hungry birds, basically.
0: <laughs> so you get a cuckoo, basically. Okay. Two... social media platforms that have still kind of got to break the back of Twitter and YouTube. What the hell is Twitter about?
1: (laughs) Well, Twitter, that's where I've actually got my biggest following because as a journalist, I used it. And it's a really good tip, actually, if you want to get featured in the press, Twitter's the place to be because it's a breaking news platform. So journalists are on there all day. As a journalist, I used to use it to find people to talk to. So if a a news story broke that was sales related. I'd be on there looking for sales expert or whatever and I might well find you and your account and use relevant hashtags or whatever. So I think it's very fast moving Twitter and yeah, it's a breaking news platform but it's a great way to connect with people and you can make lists of if there's people that you particularly want to connect with, I don't know, say you had a list of ideal clients, people you'd love to work with and you know they were on Twitter, you can make a private list and you can just stalk them nicely. You know, you can just kind of start resharing some of their content, replying to some of their tweets. You know, it can be a great way to build up a bit of a, a network, but it's quite a busy platform. And the other one you said was YouTube. So what's your challenge around YouTube? Is it growing your subscribers?
0: I've got 400 videos on there and I've got a couple of hundred subscribers. Lots of people look at the videos, but it's building the subscription base that I'm interested in.
1: I mean, there's loads of different ways to do that, but it comes back to what I was saying before, actually, was about promoting your content. I think you have to promote so hard. (laughs) So with YouTube, it starts with actually the titles of your videos and the keywords that you're using. So if you're really looking to grow on YouTube, I would be looking to do a lot of keyword research to find out what people are actually searching for and to really optimize the content that you've got and to help people find it, but also promoting it off YouTube. Have you got an email list, Marcus?
0: We have a small one. I mean, to be perfectly honest, we've tended to use LinkedIn, largely because my wife hates the whole idea of having to manage the PR yeah. side of things. Yeah. Uh, but again, definitely open to developing a list. Got a couple of lead magnets, which haven't developed yet either. So, you know, kind of fumbling my way through. LinkedIn, last year, we generated half a million quid through. So that's proven very successful. Yeah. But my concern with that is it's someone else's estate. And that does worry me. Yeah. Um, and yeah. if for some reason we were hacked or they decided to block me, that could have a, a serious yeah.
1: impact. So what I would be looking to do in your position would be to host the videos on your website and, and write blog posts um, around your, your videos. Maybe pick out your best what are your best performing videos on YouTube.
0: My daughter doing a cold call, aged yep. 11.
1: I'm looking forward to showing that to my daughter, actually. I was telling her about it the other day. <laughs>
0: well, get her to work. So she wants to
1: work. a dog as well. She, she wants a dog. She's looking for some tips, you see. So you
0: you really dog. don't want to give her that one. <laughs> that would be catastrophic. So one about being authentic was very good. Had several other videos around tips around... Prospecting seems to be the big pull, but it's not where the real value lies. It's in, more often than not, it's in the mindset stuff, which is, again, I've got to be careful that I'm not trying to sell to myself. The audience has to want it.
1: Exactly, yeah. And if, if and I always sort of say, give people what they want and then sell them what they need. So if they're interested in prospecting, then hook them in with the prospecting and then also you can get them to the other stuff. So I would probably be looking to take your top five or 10 YouTube videos, get them on your website, build blog posts around them and, and start attracting traffic. That's the sad thing about it is that with podcast episodes as well, probably you'll make 100, but there'll probably be 5 or 10 that really make a, an impact on people and that drive most of your traffic. I've got two blog posts on the first page of Google. And these is like my old life, what I used to do before. But one of them is how to write a press release for, a journal, for your small business. The other one's how to pitch a journalist. i also got one about pitching as a podcast guest. And so you create all of this content, but usually it's the top three or five that actually drive most of your traffic. And also, I would just say, try not to spread yourself too thin as well, because I think the temptation is, it's my job to be everywhere, it's my job to be on every platform. But if it's not, I would probably just stick to one platform and do it really well and post LinkedIn and post content on your website and YouTube.
0: Excellent. And for business, is Instagram and is Facebook, are they good platforms for people who are purely B2B? Are they good platforms for them?
1: Depends on who your audience are and where they're hanging out. I think people often dismiss Facebook and Instagram because they think they're a bit sort of light or whatever. But actually, I know quite a few business owners who are doing really well B two B. I think it depends on your industry and it's about knowing your audience and where they're hanging out. One of the most fun things about Instagram is Instagram Stories, which I, that was what I was describing the Shrove Tuesday post that I did was I did that on Instagram, and you can just it can be so rough and ready, and people really connect with that kind of authentic content of you just showing people your day you know walking the dog or making pancakes or whatever it is and you'd be surprised actually but i think you have to test things out and you know, it's about knowing where your audience are hanging out and your audience for you i'd imagine it's quite diverse you've probably got some kind of hardcore linkedin people but you've also got probably people who are also hanging out on facebook and instagram you've probably got a bit of a spread but where most of them are i would go
0: i've got a fairly big facebook network but certainly all the business comes out of LinkedIn. I've had nothing through Facebook. I know that's down to me. I'm clearly doing it wrong, but I'm curious to see how to improve that. So tell me this, Janet, if you want to build a following and you want to do so systematically over a clearly defined time period, say a year, what would be the tips that you'd have given yourself five years ago when you first started doing this?
1: Okay, well, I think I've worked out the right order to do it in, which I wish I'd known the right order at the beginning. But now I've worked it out and I'll teach it to other people. So for me, it starts with you build your audience on social media first, because if you don't know how to create engaging content, if you don't know how to write a post or create a video that people will actually engage with and comment on or have some feelings and reaction to, you're going to struggle as you go further up the chain. So I would just start is maybe one social media platform, two social media platforms and just experiment. So until you start creating content that people actually engage with. Once you've got a sense of that, the next one for me is is building your audience through content. So that would be, I think you're so right about not building your house on somebody else's land. So you should be publishing regular content on your own website. If writing's not your thing, it could be a podcast, it could be videos or whatever, but there do need to be some words on there for SEO purposes. And I would recommend once a week, ideally, if not maybe twice a month. And then once you're starting to publish that regular content, which is building your authority, then it's time to build your email list, which is the hardest bit. And it's the bit that most people fail at because it is really hard. But I have probably in online business terms, a fairly modest 15,000 email list. But that means that if I needed to make some money this week, I've got lots of content, I could turn that playbook into a course, a LinkedIn content course or something like that. And I could email it out to my 15,000 list and I could make some money. I put together a course in January that generated about 20,000 and it was very low key, four or five emails. And I actually ironically sold the email sequence as part of the course that we sent out. But it's a great way to know that you've always got that funnel of prospective customers and clients. It's a really nice thing to have.
0: So two questions come out of what you just said. The first one is email sequencing. What's some tips in terms of how to develop the right kind of sequence?
1: Okay so I've got to remember the structure of it now (laughs) but as part of I've got a course on how to write awesome sales copy and I have a it's like a six-part email sequence and so generally I would say this is a sales sequence there's all different types of sequences you can create. You could have Six emails. One of them might be like a testimonial based email where you tell a story about somebody that you've worked with because people love to see social proof. Another one's what I call, I always start with a pain email. So I'll, I'll real focus on pain points. So I might do a, an email about how difficult writing can be. And if you can't write about your business, how, how much that affects you. So I might really look at that. A testimonial style email. And then, yeah, so I generally would, would sort of alternate between those two. So the pain, the testimonial, and also, an objection. So, they're quite sales based, actually. <laughs> so, sales based, because they are sales emails, but they yeah. So, I generally, we do one pain, one testimonial, and one objection, then maybe another pain, then another testimonial, then another objection. Because, like most things in the world, it's like there's only really a few stories in the world. It's the same yeah. email marketing. And I think stories work really well. I tell a lot of stories and very conversational. Email subject headers are everything. I learned this from journalism. If you want somebody to open your email, my best email subject headers are usually quite surprising, challenging, is this selfish? She really said this, you know, so I would write things that are deliberately provocative to get people to open them. I find emojis work really well in subject headers. I find this tremendous fun because I'm a word person. So over the years, figuring out what people will open, what engages people, where to put your calls to action, it's, I find it tremendous fun.
0: You keep a swipe file?
1: Yes, yeah. And I sell them as part of my courses as well. <laughs> yeah. So you have swipe files, yeah.
0: Okay. We're coming to the uh, top of the hour. So a couple of questions to finish off then. SEO and keywords, where do you look to even begin? Because if you go to Google AdWords, there are the keyword tools on there. But it's kind of overwhelming because for sales, you could easily be swamped with 1,000 keywords how do you refine it?
1: My best tool is common sense, basically. So I just think, what would people... I start with, what would people be searching for? My best performing piece of content is how to write a press release. That's what we. That's a keyword, a keyword phrase. The trouble is with that is that it's a lot of people are searching for it. It's quite popular. So what you're always looking for is to what we call a long tail keyword. So how to write a press release for your small business is going to have less people searching for it because it's more niche, it's more specific. So always looking for that. So with sales, if you were writing a blog post which is like seven best ways, best prospecting techniques or something like that, that's going to be quite a, a popular search term. So you know, best prospecting yeah. techniques or strategies or something. To turn it into a long tail keyword, it would be better to have something like prospecting strategies for insurance brokers or for the retail industry. So the more specific and niche you can be, the better chance you've got of getting into the first page of Google. My favorite tools, Google AdWords, you can just have a play around and you just want to get a sense of, you don't want it to be so popular that everyone's searching for it and you've got no chance of ever getting on the first page of Google. So that's where the long tail keywords come in. I use a tool called KW Finder, which is good. You do have to pay for it, but it gives you things like for your keyword search terms, it gives you like the 10 most popular articles, which I find really helpful just to see because sometimes it's not the big site. Sometimes you just see a really niche site that's really cracked it. And also Keywords Everywhere, that's free. And that will come up on the side of... It's a, a Chrome extension that you can install. And that means that when you're Googling anything, it will just come. But even just the... um, What's the word for it? When you put something into Google, what's the word for it? The automatic... The autofill, you know, when you just... That gives you loads of ideas. So If I put how-to prospecting strategies or something, I'm probably going to get a series of popular search terms in there as well. That gives you ideas. And there's also... Answer the Public, which is a resource that basically has all these questions on anything you can possibly think of, which would give you tons of ideas as well. I mainly use my common sense, to be honest. I don't do that much keyword research.
0: I'm not entirely sure I have much of that, but um, (laughs) okay, to wrap up then, what tips would you give to people who are first starting out in terms of this content journey? What would be the top two or three things that they really need to focus on so that they get off to a good start and they don't stumble.
1: Okay, so number one, talk to your ideal clients and customers and find out what their top 10 problems are, because that's your first list of posts and try them out on social media. Second thing, talk to your ideal customers and clients and find out what their number one or number two social media platform is so that you can go and hang out there. And I'd say number three is be prepared to experiment. Like It takes a while. I've been creating content for years and I've worked in a journalism environment. So I understand instinctively, I think, what content is going to fly and what isn't. And be kind to yourself. It does takes a bit of experimentation. You might post things at bomb I post things at bomb all the time. Like still, you know, but that's for me, that's part of the fun and seeing what people will respond to and do more of what works.
0: I think you're absolutely right. Certainly I'm I mean I've been using social media since two thousand and four. And I've made some absolute horrific mistakes. No one dies and people will forget. And the good thing about uh, really crap posts is that they'll be forgotten because they're going to be superseded by good posts. Definitely take risks. Go out and have some fun. And remember, you're writing for your audience, not for yourself. People want to be helped. And what they really want more than anything else is to know that you're a safe pair of hands and you have their best interests at heart. I think that's probably a fair summary. Would you?
1: I definitely agree.
0: Excellent. Janet Murray, thank you so much. Really enjoyed the conversation. I hope to have you back again soon. And how can people get hold of you?
1: So best place to find me is my website, which is janetmurray.co.uk. And I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm active all over the place. You can, easy to find me, but LinkedIn, come and find me over on LinkedIn.
0: Excellent. This is Marcus Cowkey, the Inquisitor, signing off and look forward to hearing from you soon. Please comment, like, and share. And if there's a particular subject you'd like me to cover in my podcasts or articles and posts, then please get in touch. I often produce content to order because I'm too lazy to think of stuff originally on my own. And frankly, my imagination is pretty limited. So any help that you can give will be most welcome. Thanks again, Janet. Bye-bye. Thank you.